Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, it is a, uh, well, here we are. It's, it's, we're recording this, we're time traveling a little bit on this episode. It's, it's the day before Halloween, um, yeah. but pieces of this episode have been recorded all over the place. My name is Jeff Sharon. Along with me is Brian Murphy. Hello, Brian. Hello, Jeffrey. We are talking to you right now on Wednesday night, and uh, there are pieces of this podcast that were recorded earlier today. Uh, and uh, and it's all over the place. But we do have a stacked show for you today. Um, we have uh, Dustin and Sam. You know them uh, c- uh, c- uh, combined as uh, the Scott and Holman, po- the hosts of the Scott and Holman podcast. Uh, excuse me, podcast, P-A-W-D, uh, for, uh, covering the Houston Cougars. They join us to talk about the Cougs. Uh, coming into the space game, uh, and then uh, we talk a little bit later. Uh, Eric Lopez is going to join me, and uh, and we're going to talk about what was a big week for the Olympic sports for UCF, uh, especially men's soccer, as uh, they're all the way up to number six in the country. Um, and he did an interview with Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer. Uh, very very big uh, interview there. Really great insight on uh, what happens on what's happening in the men's soccer. Um, in the men's soccer field right now, so we have that and plenty more. But Brian, we're going to talk about football first of all. How was the how was Philadelphia? Did you get any cheesesteaks thrown at you from wearing that Giants hat? I uh, did not get any cheesesteaks thrown at me. Actually, I got <laughs> some uh, Philly fans, you know, heckling me in the airport, which was the worst it ever got. So if that's the worst it ever got, then it was fine. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I I did, however, uh, indulge myself. Uh, I uh, decided after the game, after the game against Temple, to go from there to Geno's at about 1.30 in the morning. And it was open. Because it's, it's open 24 hours. Yep. Because Geno's and Pat's open 24 hours. And again, I went there because it, I'm a tourist and I go to the touristy <laughs> spots. Uh, you know, I'm sure some of the Philly people, the Philly people will say, that I should have gone somewhere else, but these are the places that people know. So I went there, 1.30 in the morning. I talked to some lovely drunk people, uh, <laughs> and I saw a lot of people uh, dressed in costumes because it's Halloween weekend or, you know, whatever, last weekend, you know. Oh, the a week early, but hey, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, just, to, just to soak it in, after a 63, after a 40-point victory in which uh, UCF runs for, you know, 5,000 yards, it was nice to go out on the town at middle of the night, grab a cheesesteak with uh, some people who were absolutely obliterated. Stay, all right. With Wiz or without Wiz? With Wiz, onions. Uh, it was okay. I like the gooeyness. Is really good. It was pretty gooey. I like that. Yeah. The steak it's got to be chocolate. like a consistent. It's got to be like it's got to ha- it's got to be homogenous in the mixture, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's okay. It's 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 pretty good, but the steak isn't chopped. It's, it's sliced, which is like I'd rather have my steak chopped. Um, but the onions were good. The bread, the bread, I guess. Also, talking to some locals there, is it's supposed to be chewy. I didn't know that, but like the, the bread's chewy, which is kind of weird. Um, anyway, whatever. When in Rome, eat a sandwich. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, well. The good thing is you got that after a UCF uh, victory, probably the. Most impressive um, win for UCF, I would think, on the season. Certainly since the uh, certainly since the the Stanford game, um, uh, sixty three points on uh, on Temple. And before you say, well, it's Temple. No, no, no. Temple's a good football team. Uh, they came into that game five and three. 
Um, it, it, let's just put a bow on that game just real quick for you. I mean, you know, we talked about you know how good the the offense was in the second half. Uh, they they scored thirty five unanswered and held Temple to what was the total yard? What was Temple's total yards? In the second half, I think was it nineteen total yards in the second half it that they had nineteen total yards. That is correct. That's unbelievable when when you really get down to it. I mean, even in in a game where you've got garbage time to hold a team to nineteen total yards in one half of play is um, really astounding. And there really wasn't that much magic to it. It was just UCF running the football and the occasional play action deep threat. And Dylan Gabriel was uh, uh, was pretty good. We did see. Um, some Daryl Mack in there. He threw a touchdown. Gabriel was 10 of 20 for 218 and three touchdowns. But this was all about the run game and Otis Anderson, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and not only just Otis. I mean, first of all, Otis tops two bills, goes for 205 on just 17 carries, which is kind of nuts. Um, and But also Bentavious Thompson yeah. rolling uh, for more than eight yards a carry. And really, though, just watching that game, the, the, the lanes that those two had – able to run through uh were gigantic i mean the offensive line absolutely dominated from from snap to finish uh first snap to last snap uh it's an amazing display against what you said jeffrey a good temple defense who plays pretty well at home too and they absolutely mauled them uh it, it was it was an amazing display of just overpowering dominant do, dominating and, and at, at at and at the end point really basically forcing Temple to quit. I mean, you could tell in that third and fourth quarter that they had had enough. Yeah, I, I, that was really, I think you hit the nail around the head with the offensive line. They deserve so much credit. You know, Benno Thompson had the two touchdowns. Like you said, 89 on 10. UCF averaged eight yards per carry on 48 mm-hmm. on forty-eight uh, rushing attempts, 403 total yards rushing. Um, Adrian Killens averaged 13 a carry. Anderson on 17 carries, like you were saying, he averaged 12.1. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like that's 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 video game stuff. Um, and uh, and more importantly, UCF gets gets a much needed road win in conference. They're now six and two, three and one. Um, you know, even after the, the uneven performance last week against ECU, well, in the eyes of some, uneven. Um, <laughs> how 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 badly did they need a, a a game like this? Badly. I mean, I think they were sick of hearing about all the questions of what needs to happen differently on the road, what needs to happen differently in the third quarter, why can't you guys do this better? They were pretty sick of that, I'm sure. Uh, as I'm sure they were as sick of it as we were sick of it of asking about it. Um, you know, but, but the fact was that up until this point. UCF had really struggled on the road against pretty good teams. And this is not counting FAU, certainly. But against Cincinnati and and Pittsburgh, you saw that offense really go dormant for long stretches. And you feared that this could kind of be the same thing against Temple at home, a team that played pretty good defense coming in. And uh, just the way to see they they so seamlessly operated on offense uh, was was really eye-opening to watch. And then defensively, um, they they pressured uh, Anthony Russo all game long. Got a couple of picks, although I, I will say on both of Aaron Robinson's picks, credit to him for getting the interception. But however, uh, those were those picks were created by pressure and Anthony Russo making well the quarterback was making just awful throws, really bad throws right to guys right you know right like it, 
Aaron Robinson will not get many easier picks in his life than those two picks that he got in that game. But it just goes to show they were pressuring the quarterback all game long. They completely neutralized Raymond Davis, the freshman running back from Temple, who had come in averaging 90 yards a game. They shut him down for 12 for 26. Although Davis was banged up throughout the game with some lower body injuries, but still uh, the defense was just incredible basically after the first couple of drives. I mean, really after the first couple of drives, the first drive, Temple goes down and scores almost right away. You're like, well, here we go. We got a big game in our hands. And it was pretty much from there. They just sort of rolled. Yeah, it was after that first TD for Temple, it was punt, 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 downs. Then they scored uh, on that long um, touchdown pass on a busted coverage, basically. Um, Which was, and, well, no, it wasn't a busted coverage. Oh, that it wasn't was, a busted? Oh, okay. That was Brandon Mack, the receiver for Temple, absolutely uh, out-physicaling and then outrunning Zamari Maxwell. He really kind of ate Maxwell's lunch on that play. He caught he caught the ball pretty much in trap. It was a good throw, um, but the coverage wasn't awful. And then Maxwell tries to tackle him. Mack just ends up pushing Maxwell away. He just like stiff-armed him for about 20 yards downfield, I remember. Yeah, no, yeah I remember. and then just runs away from him. It was a great <laughs> play by Brandon Mack. Uh, and then the and then the third Temple touchdown was kind of a self well wasn't kind of a self inflicted wound it was a self inflicted wound on kind of Otis Anderson's like worst play of the day where he muffed that punt um, yeah yeah and and perfectly fine to forget that because of the game that he ended up having you know but but that was a mistake it led to led to another Temple touchdown but after that it was punt 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 downs interception interception punt punt game over and. Uh, in the second half, Temple did not get more than 11 yards in any one drive. Um, and, uh, and that was utterly dominant performance. Let's give some credit also to Randy Shannon, man, because the, whatever adjustment he made in the second half, oh boy, it worked. And, um, and it was good to see. That was a big confidence builder. Just in time for... A game against the Houston Cougars, the space game this uh, Saturday. So ESPN two uh, will be the uh, will be the place for it. Noon kick. Um, Beth Moens, Anthony Becht, Rocky Boyman will be um, doing the game for uh, ESPN two at Spectrum Stadium. Of course, Dana Holgerson making uh, his first trip as the um, as the head coach of the Houston Cougars to uh, Spectrum Stadium. The Cougs are three and five, one and three in the American. Um, we're gonna remember we're gonna talk to Dustin and Sam from the Scott and Holman podcast in a little bit. UCF is a twenty-one and a half point favorite. That's down from the open at twenty-two and a half. Over under is seventy-one. Um, mostly because I think it, I think quite a few people thought that even that was too high considering what Houston's done. You know, considering it is Houston, but they have struggled this year. Their only wins are against Prairie View at North Texas. Um, and uh, and they did have a couple of you know close calls this year. They're coming off of um, you know pushing since uh, or excuse me SMU um, up against the wall. But um, ever since De'Eric King left, it's kind of been well. This is clearly a rebuilding year for the Cougs. Uh, what what are we uh, what are we going to make of this one now? It, it, I mean, are you first of all are you a believer in that number twenty one and a half right now? I kind of am, considering the way UCF has operated at home and the way the Houston defense, really, you can run on them all day long, and that's what this offense is going to do. So I, I kind of believe on it. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I would take it. I think I might actually go – I would probably still go 
Houston, uh, you know, plus 21 and a half, but it would probably be more like a backdoor cover uh, yeah. because I think this game is probably over again by by halftime or middle through the third quarter. Yeah, so uh, at quarterback for the Cougars is Clayton Toon, who's thrown for 715 yards this year, five five scores, four picks in three games since uh, since taking over for um, De'Eric King. What did you take? What have you seen of Houston to this point? That that I, I mean, it, I've watched them a couple games. I watched them against SMU. I thought that that was pretty much their their kind of Custer's last stand, if you will. Um, you know, they yeah. knew they could spoil SMU season. That would make be big for them. You know, in, in a game in the state of Texas, and it didn't work out. And um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how what we're going to see from from this team. I mean, they come. They could come out gangbusters here and think you know, and with a little bit of confidence, guys playing for their jobs, or they could. You know, I don't know. We could see a team that you know, if UCF scores quick uh, quickly a couple of times on, they could they could mail it in. Don't you think? Guys playing for their jobs. I don't know what that means in college, well, especially I mean, with a team. Yeah, well, well, if you're if you're an underclassman, I would say you know you you still want to get good tape on there. You don't want to you don't want to show lack complete lack of effort out there. No, I understand. I I just think that yeah, I do worry about the letdown factor. Even though the, even though they'll have ten days to prepare for this game, that game you know against SMU was on a Thursday. I do I do worry about the letdown factor of coming so close to. Having something to be positive about in this really down, awful season, uh, and then they, it, it slips through their hands in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. So now they got a UCF for a noon kick where it's going to be hot in November. Please, God, fall, please show up. <laughs> uh, and and uh, so yeah, I, I do worry about that. I, you know, they're offensively they're still going to spread you out and be multiple. Uh, um, you know, they're going to do a lot of gadget stuff. You know, the kind of the Dana Holderson stuff. I just don't like 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 we've talked about already uh, with the guys that they are the, the guys they're redshirting. They don't really have the talent, I think, offensively to keep up with UCF. And then defensively, they can really be a sieve. Yeah. You know. By the way, the weather is looking a little dicey. Um, high of 83, at least right now, according to uh, according to the forecast I'm looking at. High of 83. Lowest 68, 40% chance of showers uh, in the afternoon. So, so I don't know. That's, that's like every that's like, but they, granted, 40% chance of rain is like uh, it's like a that's like a fill that's like a filler forecast for Florida. <laughs> well, fr- well, just, Friday will be nice, high of 77. Sunday will be nice, high of 77. You know, wow. I mean, it's 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 kind of it's it's trying to it's trying to reach you, Brian. It really is. About time. It's almost November. God. <laughs> so, uh, stick around on the podcast because coming up next, we will talk with, um, like I said again, um, uh, Dustin and Sam from the Scott and Holman podcast to get uh, a little bit more insight on uh, UH. A couple quick questions I had for you, uh, or actually maybe one or two here, Brian, before um, before we finish up this segment and uh, and go to that. Um, uh, Adrian Killens. Uh, saw him with the uh, sling on his arm, uh, you know, on his arm earlier. Um, he's expected to he's expected to play, right? So he should be okay. the The word on Monday was that Heupel expected him to practice this week. He did not practice on Monday, but he was expected to practice this week, and then he was expected to play on Saturday. We will talk mm-hmm. to Heupel on Thursday, see what he says about that. But I feel like there is a lot of optimism that Adrian will be back in the lineup. 
And then anything on Greg McRae uh, or anyone else who might who has been out of it at least for the moment. So not officially. I think I can say this uh, today after our availability, after our practice availability today, I was sitting in my car, which is kind of right in front of the um, uh, student athlete leadership center. It's where I park every day mm-hmm. before I go in to uh, to talk to players and coaches. Um, so after practice regularly, I come back out. And I'm all, and I'm cutting video clips to post on Twitter and, and writing tweets and stuff like that. So I kind of sit out there and, and I'm just in my own world. I'm not looking for anybody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stalking anybody. I want to put that out there now but as I read as I lead into this story. Listen uh, to this, Dan Frisella, okay? Yeah, I know. Murph does not stalk. Because now I'm going to get in trouble because I feel like I saw something that no one wanted me to see. <laughs> um, but I did see Greg McRae today uh, walking – uh, to the Student Athlete Leadership Center. Uh, he has a, a, a soft brace over his right knee. It's not a full-length leg brace. It's just covering basically his knee up to about his high shin. Uh, and he's walking with a very substantial limp. Um, I mean, he's kind of dragging his right leg right now. Um, so I, I certainly would not expect him to play in this game. And I would not, you know, I don't, I don't know what Hypo's going to tell us. Uh, I'm sure it won't be much. But just from what I saw today... It sure looks like Greg's a long way off. Okay. All right. But uh, other than that, at least it seems like everybody else seems to be in pretty good straights, right? And, uh, you know, I know the offensive line st- suffered some injuries against ECU too, but. Yeah, but they all, came, they all came back. So you had Sam Jackson didn't start against Temple, but did come in later. Uh, Cole Schneider did start, did start and played great. Randy Charlton makes his return, gets mm-hmm. two tackles and a tackle for loss against Temple. Did, um, has anyone di- divulged anything about that? So Nate Evans, a couple of weeks ago, during the bye week actually, Nate Evans let it slip that Charlton was sick. Uh, that was as most of he, as he would say. And I'm not even sure if he was allowed to even say that. Uh, but he did say he was sick. Uh, if you want to guess what sickness would keep a person out for three weeks, including not being around the team for two weeks, you can go ahead and make your own judgments. Uh, and and then we tried to uh, request uh, to talk to Charlton this week, and we're told that he is not available. Uh, I don't know when we will get we, we will get to talk to him. Uh, maybe never, unless he has like a huge game. But uh, but uh, if anyone's out there asking me like, why haven't you talked to Randy? Where's he been? What happened to Randy? Like I, I wish I knew. I don't know, and we are not allowed to talk to him. Yeah. Well. Play the unsolved mysteries music, right? <laughs> the unsolved mystery of Randy Charlton. Well, at least he's back back around the team, and 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 we'll be seeing him on the field uh, soon yeah. enough. So, uh, once again, twelve noon Saturday, the space game. The great uniforms are out there. Um, they're a hit. Uh, the Citronaut stuff is out there. It's great. It's great. And UCF's a twenty-one and a half point favorite. Uh, noon on uh, ESPN uh, two. Uh, UCF against. Houston. All right, before we go, uh, a little acknowledgement. Some sad news came across our desk um, this afternoon uh, on uh, the death of former uh, UCF offensive coordinator uh, Charlie Taff. Uh, Taff was uh, a football lifer, um, longtime uh, offensive assistant at, uh, at multiple places, head coach in two countries, um, coached in the CFL uh, and uh, in college in the in, in uh, in the United States, was at UCF as the offensive coordinator from 2009 to 2014, and uh, and really 
according to me and according to the numbers, was uh, instrumental in the uh, in the uh, basically the resurgence of the UCF offense. I wanted to credit uh, UCF Sports Info on Twitter for this. He came up with this graphic. Compared George O'Leary's records with Charlie Taff and without Charlie Taff. Without Charlie Taff, George O'Leary coached UCF teams were 26 and 44, two winning seasons and one conference title. With Charlie Taff, 55 and 24, five winning seasons in six years, um, three conference titles and five bowl games, including including the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and go back and take a look at those teams from 2009 to 2014, and you see a team that. Uh, figured out an identity on offense and and ran with it, um, you know, to the tune of obviously the crowning achievement, twelve and one in twenty thirteen, uh, and the win in the Fiesta Bowl. The development of Blake Bortles, the development of players like Latavius Murray, um, uh, putting them in positions to be good, largely um, through uh, and of course all the offensive linemen, largely through um, the creativity um, and the coaching um, acumen of uh, Charlie Taff. He coached at uh, a number of different places, Virginia, Army, was the head coach at the Citadel for 10 seasons, went to three uh, FCS playoffs there, uh, won a SOCON there, uh, then went to Canada, coached the Montreal Alouettes for two years, lost in the Grey Cup championship game there, offensive coordinator under Ralph Friesian in Maryland from 01 to 05, um, OC at Pittsburgh before he went back to the CFL and the Hamilton Tiger Cats for two years and then finished um, at UCF. Uh, he was the Eddie Rob- he won the Eddie Robinson Award in 1992 um, and um, and uh, an incredible year. He uh, he uh, died. His family said uh, that he uh, succumbed to um, a brief battle uh, with cancer at the age of uh, 69. And we're certainly thinking of everyone who he. Uh, whose life he impacted uh, at UCF from the players and the other coaches um, also to uh, and also his, of course his friends and family not just uh, inside of football but outside of football as well did you ever have um, an interaction with Charlie Taft Brian when you were around I think I did because uh, so I graduated in 2009 in 2009 and so I was probably covering football that spring his probably his first spring so I, I was not around for for really most of his career. By that point, I had already left. Um, but I did. I mean, you watch from afar and see like, wow, this doesn't look like the thing I've been watching for the past five years. Right. Because uh, anybody who wants to attest, uh, for a while, this this offense. I mean, well, again, we're all spoiled now with what's what's happening offensively for UCF. But back in those days, um, in the it late was rough going there for a while. <laughs> In the late in the late odds in the late odds, it was not pretty and it was contentious, and you had coaches throwing coaches under the bus, uh, and Charlie Taft comes in there and like you said, it's a resurgence, it's a resurrection. Uh, it, it, he turns this program, which was moribund offensively, into a Fiesta Bowl winner that was able to outscore Baylor, and at that time, there was no way you saw that possible because Baylor could not be stopped and uh UCF outscored them uh because Charlie Taft's offense uh again like I said Jeff uh two-time coach of the year up north in Canada with Montreal Alouettes and then uh you know the Eddie Robinson award recipient in 1992 for the best coach in the FCS two years after Gene McDowell won that also award right. for UCF 
Um, but really, again, his Taft's legacy here at UCF is a guy who was beyond instrumental in, in turning this program around. And although there were certainly doldrums after he left, uh, it could have been a lot worse in between. And we would, we would not have the Fiesta Bowl win over Baylor if it wasn't for Charlie Taft. That is a certain fact. Yeah, uh, so it's uh, it's sad. You know, I had the opportunity to um, to meet him. Uh, I think it was actually once, and we you know heard from him in a couple of media availabilities, but um, met him once right when he was hired, and uh, and was a quality dude. And the um, it was a real. Uh, he had a little bit of a stint on the UCF radio crew right after he retired, and you could tell that he was uh, he was a savant of the game. And um, and so our hearts go out to um, once again his family and friends and everyone at UCF who um, interacted with him um, as a, a truly great coach and a, and a and a great person. And so uh, so our thoughts and prayers are with the Taft family um, tonight. And we thank Charlie for all that he did for UCF uh, in his time at offensive coordinator. May he rest uh, in peace. Uh, when we ter- so we're going to take a break, and um, when we return, uh, we will uh, continue to break down the Houston game with um, our friends from the Scott and Holman podcast covering the University of Houston. Uh, when we return, this is the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, and we're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, and joining us now to talk about the Houston Cougars, UCF's opponent this week in the annual Space Game, one of our favorite traditions around here. Uh, you can find them at SH Podcast on Twitter. That's P A W D C A S T. Your source for Houston Cougar athletics, the best podcast out there uh, on the Cougars. From the Scott and Holman podcast, please welcome Dustin and Sam joining me uh, right here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's up, fellas? Hey, not too much. Just ready to uh, hopefully see an Astros win tonight and the Cougars win this weekend if we're real, if we're real lucky. I was going to say, how's the how's the uh, how's the traffic on the way from Austin to Houston right now for uh, Game Seven? We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so uh, I'm sure it's starting to fill up already, isn't it? So far, not too bad, but I'm going to knock on wood as I say that because uh, Austin traffic and the Houston traffic we're about to get in a little bit in a couple hours here is uh, notoriously bad. So if it's good, it's only uh, very temporary. I'm sure. I hear you. All right. Well, stay first of all, stay safe out there, and while the while the Texas roads are still open and clear. Um, let's talk a little football real quick. So the Cougars come into uh, Orlando as 22-point underdogs. It's a weird year this year under uh, Dana Holgerson in his first season, 3-5. and five, And obviously the whole th- – let's start with this. All right, the whole flap this year about Derek King and sort of the spoken or unspoken, I guess for lack of a better term, tanking that Houston's undergoing right now. Are they really doing that? What is the story behind what is going on with the Cougars this year in, under Dana? Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, we've, we've used the word tanking a little bit too, but we've kind of started pushing back against that a little bit just because I think, you know, if we're being technical, tanking is you're lose, you're wanting to lose and because you get, a, you get some benefit from losing. So Houston is neither trying to lose nor are they really getting a benefit from losing, but certainly – uh, you know, by having Derek back for next year, there's uh, quite a benefit. It was really it goes back to something that Sam and I were talking about from the moment Dana took over, which is like, oh, wow, you know, this defense, his first year, sure looks like it's going to be a year away. Obviously, the defense was pretty lousy, especially at the end of last year. If you saw Houston uh, get steamrolled by Army in the bowl game, you probably know what I'm talking about. 
Um, but uh, we're saying, hey, this defense looks like it's still going to be a year away. But this offense sure looks like it's going for right now. Derek King's going to be a senior this year. Um, a lot of that, uh, you may have heard some of the resentment coming from Coach Holgerson about the fact that uh, a couple of coaches ago, some coaches up in Austin now, uh, Derek King's first year on campus chose to uh, play him in several games as a wide receiver instead of what he probably should have done for the long-term good of the program, which would have been to redshirt him then, and then we could have avoided this whole uh, scenario. But yeah, coming into the year, we kind of knew, okay, the offense looks like it's going to be seen kind of senior heavy and maybe reset next year, which is unfortunate because the defense looks like it's with a lot of sit-out transfers this year. Looks like it'll be pretty salty next year. And uh, this was kind of the way to uh, to meld that into the best of both worlds, where the best of both worlds was, you know, uh, Derek taking the rest of the year off and, uh, and then coming back for next year. And it's something that is certainly unorthodox. Certainly it's going to rub some people the wrong way. It already has. Um, but really, I mean, when I heard the news, my first reaction to it was, I love it. My only concern is, is he going to transfer? Is he going to, you know, grad transfer at the end of the year and go to Florida State to be with Kendall Browse again or something like that? But um, Derek King seems pretty locked in on coming back, so it's definitely kind of a, uh, a new thing going on. But you know, Houston has always been on the forefront, uh, likes to be on the cutting edge in college football. So if we can be on the redshirt of, you know, we can call it redshirt tanking. I'm okay with that. It still uh, <laughs> should uh, should lend to a uh, a pretty fun 2020 season next year. Even given that Houston's still three and five this year, um, coming off the loss to SMU, which was I watched that game from beginning to end, and I thought you know I was really impressed with what Houston was able to do both in that game and in the game that you guys also lost to Cincinnati by fifteen. I thought that there were some you saw some bright spots here and there, but you guys pushed uh, the Mustangs uh, and had them on the ropes really for that game. Uh, is is this the kind of effort that you kind of expect the rest of the way, or was that sort of a uh, a last stand for for Houston this year as they head down the stretch? I mean, we have seen this Cougar team play everyone except for the opener against Oklahoma quite competitively, and Oklahoma looks like they're one of the best handful of teams or these best ten teams in the sport this year. So I don't think you take too much negative away from getting pushed around by Oklahoma in Norman. This team has been quite competitive every week, you know, like you mentioned. Against Cincinnati, played pretty well, threw a pick six at the end that makes the score look a little more lopsided than I think the back and forth of the action the game really indicated. And that's that's why I think Dustin and I are pretty optimistic about the long term with this program, is because you see buying. You didn't see when Holgerson got here a bunch of players transfer out. There was one or two guys who were kind of fringier players, leave the program or medically retire. The guys have really been bought in, even with kind of an unprecedented decision to redshirt a lot of these seniors looking ahead to 2020, the guys still seem engaged with the current season, even with a bunch of close losses. And I think if you're looking for the quantifiable reasons to be excited about the future of Houston, it's all the return production on both sides of the ball. If you're looking for the qualitative reasons, it's that the players seem bought in. The players haven't given up on the, you know, on a, on a season that has been very difficult. His difficult schedule has had, all the off-field stuff, a lot of injuries, too, when this team really didn't have the depth to absorb those injuries. So, yeah, I, I think I think you'll see this team play hard. I don't feel comfortable guaranteeing a lot more than playing hard, to be honest. If this game is competitive on Saturday and it's going to be a noon kick, it's going to be warm, um, and, you know, out in the sun, it's too bad, really, because uh, I was hoping for – we were hoping for maybe a night game for this game like we've had the last few times in the uh, – uh, in the space game, but um, if Houston makes this thing competitive, what's what's going to be the key? Who are going to be the key players who are going to make it competitive? 
Well, I think we need to see something that we saw at S- against SMU that we hadn't seen a whole lot of this season, which is finally some explosiveness on offense. Clayton Toon was making his third start. Uh, the stat we pointed out on our podcast this week, his first two starts, he had less than 200 yards passing. Uh, in the SMU game, he had 211 yards passing to just uh, one receiver, Marquez Stevenson, who was we kind of knew coming into the season was one of the most explosive offensive players on this team. Uh, the Cougars, you know, with the, uh, the mix at quarterback, even Deer King before he retired, it was really struggling to get the offense going. It was really exciting to see um, just finding some explosiveness and big plays. Um, so a guy like Marquez Stevenson has to be able to make some of those plays. Uh, Clayton Toon is going to have to uh, really probably do what he get against SMU again because as Sam kind of alluded to with the injuries, the biggest uh, place where those injuries have really hit Houston have been on the, uh, the offensive line where the last game against uh, SMU, we only started one of the original uh, five offensive linemen who were on you know the opening night uh, offensive line. So Houston's been dealing with a lot of injuries there, playing a lot more underclassmen on the offensive line than they certainly want to. Um, and that's with a true sophomore quarterback that can be uh, a tough thing to deal with. So uh, Clayton Toon took seven sacks in the SMU game, still threw, managed to throw for over 400 yards of offense. And if Houston's going to be close, it's probably going to have to be something similar because I don't imagine that against a pretty good UCF defense, Houston's offensive line isn't going to suddenly magically hold a clean pocket every time he drops back. So it's going to be have to be uh, Clayton Toon dealing with some pressure and still uh, being able to find some guys to make some explosive plays like we saw on Thursday. Yeah, and and on defense for the Cougars too. I mean, I know that obviously they're you know it's been a real struggle. They're giving up, you know, four hundred sixty yards a game uh, and thirty one points a game as well. But um, as far as you know, what we've seen over here at UCF is that is if teams are able to really key on the run and then pressure Dylan Gabriel up the middle, things get really get really wonky back there. I mean, he's a true freshman quarterback after all, so. What's the outlook for Houston on defense heading into this game? I think going into this year, just bigger picture, we wanted to see progress. We knew it wasn't going to all happen in one year. The Cougars are pretty deficient in some key areas. One of the things I've always you know, repeated during the season is that it looks like we have one Division One cornerback. We have a couple guys who are set out transfers right now, including uh, Marcus Jones, who was an all-conference corner at Troy for a couple of years there when that program was doing real well with Neil Brown. And we've seen progress, I think. It, it hasn't been perfect. I think it's been a brutal schedule to try to build a new defense. You have Oklahoma, who looks pretty superhuman with Jalen Hurts. Washington State, who's kind of a torture test for a team with a super young secondary like the Cougars have. And SMU has a good offense. Who am I? Who am I for? Tulane on a third consecutive short week. a short week. Tulane's had a really good-looking offense this year. And still, even with those torture tests, this has looked like a defense that's making progress, that keyword. Grant Stewart, who's kind of a nickel safety linebacker hybrid, is, I would say, the talisman of this defense. He's this guy who has super long hair. You'll you'll see him pretty much the second the Cougar defense takes the field, kind of a Troy Palomalu-like looking figure out there, flying around the field, playing big hits, making more tackles than you think would be possible from this nickel position. And a couple other promising young guys I think we like. Uh, Demarion Williams was the first big recruiting kid of this coaching staff. was a Juco American Highland Community College in the Jayhawk League. Uh, Doug Belk and Dana Holgerson, within a week of getting here almost, pulled him from SMU at the semester start for last spring, and he's been he's been great. He's gotten some really difficult matchups with CeeDee Lamb in Oklahoma, with James Brochet at SMU, Wazoo, and all they offer, and I think has acquitted himself quite well, all things considering. We have a couple promising sophomore linebackers, Donovan Mutant and 
Lamar Kirvin, who I think is questionable injury-wise. So it's not perfect, but we've seen progress. This is a defense that held Shane Bichelle as in check as Shane Bichelle has been held the entire season. And I think other than some big plays were pretty close to, I think, holding SMU to, I think, too few points to win that game in Houston. But SMU being what they are, they broke a couple big plays. And, you know, that's that's the progress. This isn't a perfect defense by any stretch, but it's a lot better than what we saw at the end of 2018 for sure. And I was just I was just going to say that, uh, I mean, you have to look at the way the season started. The season started at Oklahoma. Then the next three games are on three consecutive short weeks. We played on a Sunday, Saturday, Friday, Thursday. So a very Ugh. shorthanded defense had to do three consecutive short weeks after facing Oklahoma. Um, so by the end of the two-lane game, you could see they were just absolutely gassed. And since then, I mean, it's against North Texas. I thought the defense mostly played pretty well against UConn. I mean, it's UConn. I don't know how much you can take away from that. And then against uh, SMU this past week, uh, held SMU to their season-low point total despite two quarterback fumbles that put them on a two-yard field and a 32-yard field. So I was really impressed with the defense against SMU. And like Sam said, it's just kind of – it hasn't been perfect. Um, certainly we're hoping to see another step forward next year with all the set-out transfers coming in. But it's already – we're seeing some signs that this defense can do some things well. And uh, that's something that wasn't really the case a lot of last year. There's just an identity. Right. They, I want to talk about the state of Houston as a program in general. And, you know, I, I've been asked before by fans, like, you know, who do you think is our is our biggest rival? Is it really USF? And I said, you know, from a geographic perspective, yes. But from a state of the program perspective, I I look at Houston as as really really close to UCF in terms of where both programs are um, right now. Obviously, big metropolitan areas. There's a connection to the space program, which we're celebrating in this game here on Saturday. And we're and 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 it, it, it's. Something that you know UCF has done the last three years, but this is the first time that they've done it with uh, in the game with Houston, of course, the home of the Johnson Space Center and Mission Control. Um, and as you look at what these what Houston has been able to accomplish, how does Houston view UCF uh, in terms of in terms of the greater landscape of college sports in general? Yeah, I mean, we actually said something on our last podcast that we just recorded last night. We said something extremely similar where I said I think UCF is the most similar school in the country uh, to Houston in terms of athletics, in terms of uh, the size of the, the university, in terms of where it is inside of a major metropolitan area, a lot of the things that you just said there. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, of recognition within the Houston fan base that UCF is the closest thing to that, you know, Spider-Man meme where they're both playing at each other and they right. both have fans that – you know, if you're part of the fan base, it can be a lot of fun. If you're not part of the fan base, then um, and you're a, you spend much time on social media, maybe you don't find it nearly uh, you don't find that fan base nearly as much fun. Houston definitely has some people that can uh, rub others the wrong way, as UCF sure does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of kind of acknowledgement, and that I think makes for a good what you call it. I think I think it can be a good rivalry. It's I think getting there. The longer uh, we spend in the American, obviously, I think that's uh, it's going to happen more and more. Houston, I think, needs to start doing a little better until we're, we're uh, you know, looking a, a little better out in the West the way that uh, UCF has been out in the East last couple of years. It makes, uh, obviously, for a, a less compelling rivalry. But I think that there's, you know, anytime you have a, some another school, another program that's as similar to yourself as these two schools are, you know, you kind of have to, you have some mutual respect, but then you also have some animus as well that you always want to beat the other school that looks the most like you. So, Definitely, uh, I think Houston fans respect UCF and what they've been able to accomplish going undefeated the last couple of regular seasons. And, you know, that's the same goal Houston has. Houston wants to be that team that's 
that's going undefeated, that's the best team in the conference, is going to the uh, the NY6 Bowl games. And certainly we're looking at UCF as a program there right now with a lot of our same kind of advantages and disadvantages uh, it has accomplished that in the last couple of years. So I think there's definitely respect, but definitely, you know, makes you want to go out and beat that team even that much more. Well, now that the uh, conflict is no longer a thing, at least within conference play, we need another rivalry trophy. How about we mint ourselves uh you, you and you guys and me will all will will go down. We'll get a like a, a model Saturn V rocket or something, and let's make that a new rivalry trophy for UCF and Houston. Are you guys on board with this? Absolutely, one hundred percent. This should be fun. Listen, um, I know you guys are on the road, but I wanted to thank you guys both, Dustin and Sam, from the uh, from the uh, Scott and Holman podcast covering the Houston Cougars. Real quick, give uh, UCF fans the spiel. How can they uh, reach out to you if they want to follow the latest on? Uh, Houston uh, football and basketball because you guys cover basketball very tightly and with very good reason with uh, uh, how good the Cougars have been the last few years under Kelvin Sampson. How can folks follow you? You can find us on Twitter, as you mentioned at the top, at SHPAWDCast. We love to interact with folks all over the AAC Twitter sphere. One of the many things I like about our current conferences, I think we have our own kind of unique fan culture thing going on, and that's great. As uh, a couple of fan bases that came from Conference USA, a uh, conference that, like many things, uh, fan culture definitely included in that. It's been a breath of fresh air. For sure, we're also on uh, Facebook for reasons we still don't exactly understand. Uh, you can search at the Scott Holm Podcast there. Find us even on Instagram, periodically uh, posting at SH Podcast for all the uh, Zoomers that are on Instagram, posting pics of food and whatnot. We're there as well. We're on your podcast app of choice. Search the Scott Holm Podcast. Stitcher, Apple, Google Play, Spotify. We're in all those places. SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah, we just uh, just posted last night, or this morning, rather, our episode where we talked to uh, to you, Jeff, and we had a really good time. Enjoyed that. So if you want to hear our full, uh, unedited thoughts on the game, uh, be sure to check that out. Sounds good. Guys, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to join me here uh, on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Safe travels up to Houston. Enjoy Game 7 tonight, and... Uh, uh, enjoy uh, Saturday as well, but hopefully not too much. Thanks a bunch, Jeff. I appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. All right. Thanks once again to the guys. Uh, make sure you follow them at SH Podcast, P A W D C A S T, on Twitter. Stick around when we return. Eric Lopez joins me to talk about UCF men's soccer, women's soccer, and volleyball. And we're also joined by Travis Clark to talk about. UCF men's soccer's chances as they approach the postseason ranked in the top 10 in the country. We'll be right back. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon joined now by Eric Lopez for our final segment as uh, Elo's been busy doing his softball woge stuff, but um, <laughs> we've we've uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, soccer here and we'll start with men's soccer as the picture is starting to come into focus, isn't it? UCF right now ranked number six in the United Soccer Coaches poll, highest ranking ever. Number four RPI, tied with their highest ranking that we've seen at least this season. And coming off that one nothing victory on Saturday against uh, South Florida, key win, and the Knights' first um, regulation game in, in four games. Um, they got the job done at Corbett Soccer Stadium and then came back home for another in-state uh, you know, rivalry game, if you will, against, uh, against Stetson. This one was not easy on uh, Tuesday night. 
Stetson had a 1-0 lead at halftime. UCF took the lead on an own goal by the Hatters, who then tied it up and sent it to overtime. And then Cal Jennings did it again in the second overtime, early in the second overtime, getting his 40th career goal. Uh, He had a goal and and an assist in the game, and UCF gets the win over Stetson 3-2, Eric Lopez. And... uh, you know, a, a little bit of a nail biter there because you know, you know, now we're starting to talk about uh, about the postseason with two games to go. One at home Friday against Memphis in a critical, critical game in the American race, and then the um, season finale on Tuesday at Cincinnati in the cold. That won't be easy, but um, this is a critical time right now for UCF men's soccer because any slip-up could be costly um, in the long run, right? Yeah, no question. I mean, it's crunch time here from a national seed per, uh, perspective, which we're going to talk about shortly with our guest here, special guest that we have. But let me just first say this. For those that are like, oh, my God, we struggle against Stetson. Stetson is probably going to win the A-Sun, and there's a good chance. I mean, they've had a good men's soccer program there, and there's a good chance these two teams might play again uh, potentially, uh, you know, down the road mm-hmm. here in the tournament. Who knows? Stetson's a type of team that could upset somebody if they were to make the tournament. Uh, they're not pretty. They're a pretty good team. And you know, what can you? Uh, very fitting for Cal Jennings, 40th career goal, only the fourth guy to reach that milestone. Uh, he passed Ronnie Fran- uh, Francoy, uh as far as fourth all-time in goals. Mm-hmm. He's now behind only Heike Rigvedin, who played from '96 to '99, who had 88 goals. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy like to say that yeah. eighty-eight goals. How did that <laughs> that's, happen? That's, they playing like Cal's, Cal's a senior. Yeah, Cal's a senior, and that's less than half what Hecky Ripman had. <laughs> I don't understand that. Like, where's offsides banned back in the day in the nineties? I mean, did I miss something? And then Randy DeShield, who played from seventy-five to seventy-nine, fifty-six goals, and then Ari Nurmi, who also was a teammate of Heike, he scored forty-seven goals. How do you like that? You scored 47 Man. goals and you got blown away by your other guy on the team. That's kind of wild. I mean, what a wild time in UCF soccer in the late 90s there. But but the point is, we have not had a prolific goal scorer like Cal Jennings reach this milestone of 40 goals. And what a way to do it at clutch when they needed him the most. He always steps up. It seems like in these overtime matches that they've pulled out, he's either making the pass like he did against Tulsa or the game-winning goal like he did against Stetson. And what it does now – it sets up now you get now move forward to the big biggest you know senior night but it's huge home friday night against memphis the top two teams in the league memphis kind of the surprise of the league upset smu earlier this year we've talked about on this show about smu and ucf the top two teams who would blink well smu blinked when they lost to memphis well memphis says well forget blinky we're gonna make ucf blink they got a shot to win the league Mm -hmm. uh and part of their banner year they're only one point back of UCF. So this is a huge match on Friday night for UCF because uh, the winner of this has goes on top in first place and has control of the regular season title with one match to go. UCF would, as you mentioned, go into Cincinnati. So this Friday night match is huge match. Uh, the American Digital Network has picked it up, and, it, and, and this is going to set the stage for UCF because it gets them one step closer to potentially uh, high, you know, all their aspirations come the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and when you look at the standings, like you mentioned, so so this is you know an, another way to look at it is this: so UCF has 13 points in the standings, Memphis is 12, SMU is 10, 
Um, UCF is 4-0-1, so they and SMU share that tie, but SMU has that loss that they suffered to Memphis. So if UCF beats Memphis in this next game, okay, on senior night, that would put them up to 16 points. SMU has two games to go. By the, by the way, they, you beat Memphis outright, then you have 16, they have 12, they can't catch you with one game to go. SMU has two games to go. They would need to win them both in order to tie, and then you, all UCF would have to do at that 16-point mark would be just get a point at Cincinnati, and then it's over. And then you're and then you're hosting the conference uh, the conference championship um, the rest of the way. So so UCF right now is in the driver's seat, but you know Memphis is not going to go down. Uh, all that easy and then you know and then when we're talking about while we're at, while we're here talking about what's going on with the conference that's going to be critical too uh, as you discussed with uh, our guest this week to talk uh, to talk men's soccer yeah he you know you meant you called me you teased me as the uh, softball woge well he's the soccer woge if you will and I speak of Travis Clark who is the, in charge of course of top drawer soccer one of the top sites in the country when it comes to soccer in fact, he has his latest projections of the NCAA tournament. He does a bracketology as well for men's and women's soccer. I had a chance to talk to Travis Clark about what is the future for UCF and what's at stake for the Knights moving forward and the possibilities for Scott Calabrese's team come the 4018 field of the NCAA tournament, a possible destination to the College Cup. Here now is Travis Clark. <laughs> And joining us now here on the Black and Gold Bannerettes, of course, he's the director of content at Top Drawer Soccer. They are the place to go for all information in every level of soccer, from college, pro, club, you name it. Uh, I speak of Travis Clark, who uh, joins us now here on the show. Uh, Travis, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. Uh, well, we're here talking about UCF men's soccer, another dramatic win for them on Tuesday night against Stetson. Uh, what a year for Scott Calabrese and company. I guess my first question before we get into what we, we kind of you project them to be in the postseason is what's been your thoughts about them here in 2019? Yeah, I mean, I think they had pretty high expectations heading into it, and they certainly have delivered in what is looking like a pretty competitive American athletic conference. You know, we saw Cal Jennings have his breakout year last year, and whenever whenever I'm looking at college strikers, college forwards, college attackers, however you want to call it. It's always interesting to see how they live up to, you know, how do they do, deliver after a great season like he had. So to see him score so many goals again, you know, he's 12 and 14, not quite the same rate as last year, but it's certainly a big part of why they're having the same kind of success this season. I, I do think that the, the interesting thing for me is the number of overtime games that they've played, I believe it is six. And they've won four of them. I don't think they've lost any of them. So, you know, there's there's talent up and down the field, though, as well. You know, whether it's Luis Perez, Yannick Sorokin, then you have Yannick, Yannick Edel in goal. I'm, I got his name wrong there. My apologies. A couple of standout freshmen, too. One player that I'm glad to see back on the field, Vladimir Mendoza, who is a uh, defender at 3L Salt Lake Academy, tore his ACL last summer at the Development Academy playoffs. Then went to New Mexico, which was discontinuing its soccer, its soccer program. And I was wondering, where's this kid going to end up? Where's he going to be? So that was definitely a shrewd pickup by the coaching staff. And Gianno Vivi, another freshman that's seen a lot of minutes. So there's talent all over the field. And it's been no surprise to see where they are, you know, number four in the RPI, 
in the most recent ranking. So uh, I do think that things are positive. And, and you might even want to go, go ahead and lump them into the national title challengers category. I think the one thing when you're looking at them is can they slow down the best teams on defense? Conceding 18 goals in 14 games isn't that high of a mark, but that's my one sort of like, okay, how, how they can do in, in that sort of category will determine how long they play this year. You know, it's funny you bring that up. We had a, we have a fan that messaged me, uh, Trace, is a diehard UCF fan, soccer, and actually want asked that exact question. His concern is that they've been giving up leads defensively late, like they did against Stetson on Tuesday night. The SMU match, which I know you followed, uh, that classic where they had a two-goal lead and couldn't hold it. Even mm-hmm. a, a Tulsa match, a match that I got to call where they were up two two nil, and they and they kind of coughed up the lead. Is that a? Uh, it, I mean, is how big of a concern is that moving into the postseason? And and you know, I've talked to them. They kind of feel like it's a situation where they just, uh, for whatever reason, put the let the get you know un you know uncharacteristically kind of maybe. Uh, relax a little bit uh is that a, how big of a concern is that yeah you know the old the old trope or cliche right is defense wins championships so the, that that is definitely a concern i do think they they have the attacking talent to obviously cope with it at certain points of the season but a lot of what it might boil down to is is how the bracket comes out and how you know major they finish in the top four and in the RPI, or do they get a top four seed, which means that if they went out up until the College Cup, they would host every game. They would have that, you know, they come be at home and have that sort of advantage. Uh, but I, I do think it's the one thing they really need to address, and it's where the season will boil down to. You know, as a result that you've noted, it's kind of what has been the one, if you want to say negative, They've won all these high-scoring matches, but part of the reason is they've been conceding a lot of goals. So, uh, you know, if they're having a game where they're missing a bunch of chances and they can't keep that shutout at the end, that'll end their season. So I'm really interested to see how that impacts them, like I said, in the NCAA tournament, in the AAC tournament, which starts next week. Of course, we're nitpicking about a team that you uh, top drawer of soccer. You guys have them ranked number four in the country. <laughs> um, yeah, so- I mean, it, it is definitely like, you know, being very specific about an issue. But I think if they want to win the AAC tournament, if they yep. want to get to the College Cup, which I think, like I said, in this sort of relatively open field in men's D1 soccer, it's very much a possibility if they can hold on to leads a little bit better. No, no question, and and they would be the first to agree with that. Coach Calabrese would be the first to agree with you. Let me ask you about Coach Calabrese. You follow the sport for a long time. Uh, you know, he's this is in his third season at UCF. He came, you know, he's played and coached at other places. What did you know about Coach Calabrese the, before his arrival to UCF? Are, are you surprised how he's turned around UCF to being a number four ranked team in the country just in its third season? What's your thoughts on Coach Calabrese? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I, you know, that's nothing to do with him. That's more the sheer volume of coaches that have been out there. But it, it is always nice to see coaches that bring fresh ideas and are willing to blend recruits from all over the world to really build up programs. And I, I think that, you know, what what we've seen at UCF is just a, a, re- a reflection of his ability to, you know, put – a program together and, you know, identify the way it needs to improve what needs to get better on the field, 
and kind of make the right decisions because college soccer is such a, I don't want to call it a crap shot, but it is a, you know, it can be fluky. It's a, it's a short season. You can have an injury to a, a one or two players and that can kind of like kill your season. Right. So I think the job that he's been able to do is reflective of, you know, the kind of coach that he is and the, the freshness that he brought to the position. So I didn't know a ton about him before he got there uh, again, but I do think he's done an excellent job and he certainly caught my attention with what he's done at UCF for sure. Speaking with Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Now, one of the great features you have at Top Drawer Soccer, again, you do cover recruiting. Uh, you cover every level of soccer. It's fantastic. If you're a soccer fan, I strongly recommend to bookmark this site. It's your go-to place. I go to it. And one of the things I enjoy is you do a tournament projections. you got your own kind of bracketology, if you will, for both men's and the women's soccer. Uh, just give us an idea what you kind of see as of this hour for UCF as they get set for a huge match against Memphis at home. Then they're at Cincinnati on the road, and we'll see. They kind of control their destiny as far as winning the regular season title remains to be seen if that happens. But where do you see them right now as far as your projections are concerned for UCF and the possible path they might have for the tournament? Because some of our audience may not be familiar with the format in the NCAA tournament in men's soccer. It's different than the other ones in that it's not mm -hmm. a 64-team field. Yeah, so right. So it's a 48-team field. And what that means is the, the first round consists, uh, and you can step in if I do my math wrong here. First round, you have 16 teams, and then the winners of those advance to the second round, and that's where you have this, all of the seeded teams come in. So they get a bye, like basically a first-round bye. Uh, they host all the games on the Sunday. The NCAA tournament starts the preceding Thursday. Um, so basically where UCF is, I think that, uh, it kind of depends on how the sort of ACC bias is factored in, which may rankle some ACC fans if they're listening. Maybe they're not listening, but the uh, the, the ACC teams then tend to get a little bit more shine uh, in pass. But UCF's RPI right now is number four. I think that if they win either the regular season or the conference tournament, they can. I would be surprised if they are not in the top four. So if you're in the top four, as I kind of noted previously, they have the ability to host through the College Cup. I was assuming they win each round, College Cup being the national semifinals. I think that, again, this is a lot of guessing and kind of basing it off of what I have observed in previous years. I think as long as UCF doesn't crash out maybe like the first round, maybe they lose a hard luck penalty kick in the semifinals. I still think they should get a top four seed, provided they had won the AAC, AAC regular season before. So I think if you grab one or two of those, you should see UCF in the top four. Top eight seems secure at this point, and then you never know how the committee is going to break down the field or shift things out. So I do think the team is in a good place no matter what happens. If they lose, like I said, college season can be short. You could lose, lose your last two games, you drop – games at Memphis uh, versus Memphis and at Cincinnati. Things could be a little bit different within the span of a week, but as of right now, they are sitting pretty for sure in terms of being set up to host a significant amount of their games and then have that first-round bye, as I said. That's music. Trust me, you've won over a lot of fans, or a lot of fans are hoping you're right. I'm curious, 
Where do you have SMU, who's become UCF's rival? They have played some classic matches. They played a classic regular season match in Dallas earlier this year, a 3-3 draw. They've played in the last two years in the American Conference Championship, both won by SMU. Last year in Orlando, they won in penalty kicks. Two years ago in Dallas, SMU won in overtime. They got a great player, McLaughlin Company. Where do you have SMU seated? So they'll, they'll be seated as well, probably in the um, – eight to 12 range, it, you know, again, depends on how they finish the season. If they pip UCF to either the regular season or conference tournament title, I could see them pushing up, maybe being higher than UCF, but they have, they have the firepower. I think both programs could put a, together a deep round in the NCAA tournament. And uh, it would be great. I think for the conference for college soccer, men's college soccer to see the two hopefully square off in the, final of the American Athletic Tournament, even though I know that with Memphis, where they are, I believe they're in second place. Yep. They could end up sort of throwing a wrench in those plans, depending on how UCF game goes against Memphis. So uh, I'm interested to see those two programs go head-to-head, hopefully, once again. Uh, but if they don't, both teams have a good chance of really flying the flag for the conference in the NCAA Tournament. That's pretty amazing for the American Conference. It's the first time they've had two top ten teams in the country. It's a young league. What what where does the American rank, you know stack up as far as the league uh, as far as college men's soccer is concerned? I mean UCF SMU looks like top eight seeds. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are in the rest of the league as far as NCAA tournament bids. Maybe a Memphis. Do they have a shot to get it? Where where is the American in 2019? It's definitely in a much more advanced advantageous place than it has been previously. Just the fact that there are a handful of teams, not just UCF. Well, you have UCF and SMU as top 10, top 15 caliber teams. Memphis and Temple, even Temple has a pretty solid RPI. They just picked up a big win against Louisville. So I'm curious if Temple can finish out the season with a couple more wins, maybe maybe secure an upset against an SMU, Memphis, or UCF in the conference tournament. There's a chance that you could have four teams in the tournament when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. The geography can factor into things sometimes, but uh, I do think it's been a, a banner year for the American, especially, you know, when you consider UConn has been the, the premier power when it, and it's moved in and they're obviously going to be leaving as far as I understand. So uh, especially with them having such a down year for these four programs to step up and to really put together strong seasons, it bodes well for the, the, the conference. And I'm curious to see when it comes to men's soccer, which of the programs can uh, can maintain it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's just fascinating to see the American in this kind of level here and with two teams that are potentially teams that could flirt and be a threat to get to the College Cup in, uh, in North Carolina down the road. And obviously that's why it's very significant how this regular season ends, as you know, because you mentioned Memphis and UCF first place on the line. Memphis is actually the spoiler. They're currently in second place. They upset SMU during the season. SMU still in lurking. And the, we don't know where the who's going to host the conference tournament, which is significant. And it's a big – that's what makes that match so big uh, because it could help kind of – you know, direct the path as far as to win that mm-hmm. conference tournament championship and in UCF's case, potentially uh, lock up a top four seed. Yeah, I mean, the stakes are big. And, like again, that makes the the business end of the season, of the college season, can be uh, quite boring or it can be totally unpredictable and very exciting. So it's nice to see that that's materialized. And, again, the more, pro- the more programs you have that can be competitive, 
even if it means that your team loses a game or two that you don't uh, necessarily expect or usually fall to, it, it can make for, uh, some exciting things on the field. You mentioned earlier it's a wide-open field this year. How wide open is it as far as the national? How many teams can le- realistically win the national championship? UCF opened the season with Wake Forest, who a lot of people picked before the season. was a Wake Forest won that match. UCF then beat North Carolina and North Carolina. Uh, there's been others, a revolving door. What? How wide open is the field this year? I think it's pretty wide open. You know, we saw, we've seen Stanford kind of dominate the past few seasons, and they're, they're still there, thereabouts. You know, obviously they didn't make it, and Maryland did. And it's hard to say, really. You could be as ambitious and say that within 10 to 15 programs could be within striking distance, could put together a run. You know, you're looking at the top. You know, I'll just rattle off some names, and maybe that'll give us, you know, I've already said SMU and UCF, CF2, and Washington is having a great year in the Pac-12. Georgetown looks like a dominant force in the Big East. Virginia is a very, very difficult team to beat. Clemson has the highest uh, highest scoring offense in the country. Even Maryland, while they've had their ups and downs, and I wouldn't really throw them in a contender category, have had some nice wins and good moments. You know, there's the Stanford Cardinal. If you want a, a shock team, St. Mary's out in California has a one-loss season after going unbeaten last year. You know, you already mentioned Wake Forest. I think even St. John's, well, they got dominated in a Big East game by Georgetown to put together a run. So, you know, that, that's getting into the double digits already, and then that's without naming a few of the other programs that I've seen some bright things from, Penn State, Florida International, Kentucky, teams that you won't really necessarily think of, you know, Louisville or Charlotte at Boston College, although they're quite young, so maybe not for them the list. But there's a number of programs that are having great seasons, and I'm, I'm curious to see what, what helps them pull through at the end of the season or what helps them pull through as the sort of the business end of the season arrives. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And, uh, we're, you know, we got the regular season wrapping up, but then they got the conference tournament, and then selection Monday will be here before we know it, and we find out where everybody's going and where is seated. And I know you're following it very closely. The, Travis Clark, uh, Travis, tell the audience where they can find your work uh, online and the great work that you all do at topdrawersoccer.com. Sure, you can just check us out at topdrawersoccer.com. We do a tons of tons of content covering everything from you know what you mentioned at the top of the show, you know college soccer, men's or women's, girls, boys, youth club soccer, uh, youth national team stuff with the U.S. Lots of different stuff. We have a podcast. Search Top Pro Soccer Show on wherever you get your pods, and you should be able to find it. And you can follow us on social media at Top Pro Soccer. Travis, great stuff. I enjoy your work. Uh, we may try to get you back on before Selection Monday or even afterwards to kind of get your reaction on this. As obviously, a lot of UCF fans are following this closely uh, with the, the incredible year that Coach Calabrese and the, and the team is having. Thanks so much for taking the time during the busy schedule. We'll definitely uh, try to get you on uh, down the road here in the near future. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And thanks again to Travis Clark for uh, joining us here on the show. We hope to have him on maybe potentially before the selection show Monday, uh, the week before, or maybe after it for a reaction. You can follow Top Drawer Soccer at Top Drawer Soccer on Twitter as well, and he's on uh, Twitter as well. Uh, he's on there as well, Travis M. Clark on Twitter. He is the go-to, covers all the scenes in soccer. And, Jeff, the big news from that interview, as you heard, Right now, he's got in his projections UCF as a number four national seed for the NCAA tournament. Now, remember, as he explained, it's a 48-team field, not 64. So the tops, you know, you have a certain amount of seeds with the top 16 would get a bye 
into the first round like UCF did last year into the second round. The big thing about that number four seed and why that is important, if UCF were to be the number four seed, like Travis has him right now and how he explained how they can get there, that means UCF would play every NCAA tournament match at home at the complex up until the College Cup. That's a big difference. If you know, yeah. For example, if you're the five seed, you may you would have to go on the road in the quarterfinals. So that's very significant. Unbelievable that we're saying that about this program, Jeffrey. It's But this is uh, historic in a lot of ways. Tremendous. Uh, tremendous for the program. And what a job that Scott Calabrese has done. You know, I, I went back and, and, and we'll move over, we'll move on after this, but um, I went back and I looked at their record under him and uh, and going back to two years ago. Remember two years ago in 2017, they had two, they had their home opener canceled twice because yeah. of storms. One of them was because of a thunderstorm that just rolled in and, and blew, but the other one was because of a hurricane. Um so their their home opener got pushed back to October fifth, twenty seventeen, and it was against Stetson. Okay, so nice little nice little bookends for you here. Since that home opener in Scott Calabrese's first year, October fifth, twenty seventeen, a victory by UCF over over Stetson. UCF men's soccer is thirty one five and six. Thirty one five and six. Thirty one wins in forty two. Mashes. It, it it really is spectacular when you think about what they have done. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, over the last uh, over the last several couple of years. I mean, it's uh, and a tremendous credit to what they've done. Um, and uh, and wow, it just feels like. And even Mark Daniels was tweeting about it um, last yeah. night. You know, he says uh, this team, what a streak! Truly has a roster that can win a title, not just conference. Dot dot dot. Well, um, well, and as Travis, and by the way, as Travis mentioned, this is not like going to be the swan song, if you will. I mean, he's talked about how impressed he is with this coaching staff and how they find players and recruit. So he, the pipeline. This is, I mean, he's built a national program here. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We're just getting started. Uh, just getting started. That's the scary part, I think, if you're the rest yeah. of the American and and uh, and and around and around the country, especially in the southeast region. It's uh, it's really something to see. And and enough talent right now uh, that you know, boy. Could they get to the College Cup? You know, I mean, last year, it's so tough. Soccer's such a cruel game. We saw what happened last year, right? So, um... Right, second round, you outplayed Lipscomb, but Lipscomb got the yeah, got the victory. Yeah, and Lipscomb there, got, so. got the goal and got the win. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, right now, it's it's so hard. It's in so, overtime, no less. Yeah, I mean, it's that's so, the other thing that... That's what uh, makes me nervous, Jeffrey. This team likes to play in overtime... We've had now, I believe it's eight out of the last eight of the sixteen matches, men and women have been played at the complex, have gone to overtime. I don't know if we can handle that, man. <laughs> but exactly, uh, right. one one thing at a time, and it's going to start with what's basically a uh, a game against NCAA caliber opponent in Memphis uh, on Friday, November first at seven. And again, like you said, that that has been picked up by the American Digital Network, so you can watch it uh, there on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and you can follow them on Twitter at American underscore DN. All right, let's move over to the women's side. The uh, women's soccer is 9-3-4 right now, but, man, did they suffer a tough loss on the road um, at Cincy in their second-to-last game of the regular season. Um, and, uh, man, the, uh, all of a sudden the offense seems to have dried up because they scored just one goal in their last four games. Um against Temple, UConn, ECU, and now Cincinnati. And that's with 
Um, the season finale at home, the War on I-4 game coming up on Halloween night, Thursday, against South Florida. W- what is going on um, with this team? It just feels like, you know, I mean, we knew that there would be some some growing pains in trying to uh, figure out where the scoring load was going to come from after the losses that they suffered from last year. But, um, but man, this is a heck of a time for that to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it's just been tough. One goal they've scored in the last four matches in the conference, and tough to win without when you don't score. Real simple yeah. as that. And they've been good defensively, uh, you know, up young, and, and that's just, just one of those things where you just wonder if some players have lost confidence, if they're pressing. Uh, you know, they Kristen Scott got the goal in the victory against East Carolina, but then they just couldn't. They hit the post a couple times against Cincinnati and the loss, and unfortunately yeah. now, for their standpoint, uh, they're not going to get the bye. Memphis and South Florida are going to get the bye in the for the conference championship in women's soccer. UCF's going to have to play the quarterfinal game. Now they will get to host that. They have locked that up. That'll be Sunday at one o'clock. But they got the big match against USF on Thursday, and really they're playing spoiler. South Florida still has a shot to win the regular season title. They're a point behind Memphis. What a, what is it? What a year by the way for Memphis. I mean, right. football hosting game day. You got men's soccer in the in the mix for the conference title, and women's soccer have been a top fifteen, top twenty five team all year. Could host a conference tournament. I mean, life's good, I guess, if you're Jeff Brightwell right now. Yeah, poor poor one out for our buddy Jeff Brightwell up in Memphis, man. <laughs> what a year for him! Unbelievable. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. And I think they're hosting the cross country championship or something like that too. He's he's everywhere. But anyway, so South Florida is still trying to play for the conference championship. UCF's going to try to play the spoiler role here. Mm-hmm. And and try to maybe move up to a three seed in the tournament. Right now they're kind of in the four. It's too. I'm not going to go into all the scenarios. It's too complicated to see, you know, who they could play on Sunday and what seed. It's too complicated because there's too many scenarios. But I think UCF. This is a match where you know it's the rivalry match. Uh, what six points on the line for the Warren I four trophy? Yep. Uh, to the winner. Um, and I think this is a match you've got to use to build some confidence going into the conference tournament because they're going to have to win the conference tournament, Jeffrey to get to the NCAA tournament at this point. Yeah, and even with that respectable, you know, record of 9-3 and 4, it's been the draws that have hurt them. I mean, they the, the two draw scoreless draws against Temple and UConn, I think they look back at that and they and they and they just got to shake their head. Um and and that's I'm glad you brought up the point about the um the uh, the uh, first round of the tournament because the tournament format for soccer is different this year than it has been in the past. They voted in a little a little bit of a change. Top two seeds get buys. The semifinal and final are at the home of the uh, are at the home stadium of the number one seed, uh, the number one team in the regular season, and they're on. And the semifinals are on Thursday, November seventh, and su- and the finals are on Sunday, November the tenth. Now, the first round is played at the campus sites of the higher seeds that didn't get the buys. So you have the three versus the six at the three on Sunday, November 3rd, and the four versus the five at the four that same day. So that's kind of rough to me if you, if you don't get that by. And and I think and the reason why the coaches do this, and this is one of the things that Todd Dagenet explained actually in volleyball, the, the whole point is for the American in the Olympic sports is to get, is to make the path for your best teams that much easier. So you're forcing... The if you're the if you're three to six, you got to travel and then travel again. You know, yeah. if you win, so 
So that that's going to put some wear on you. Yeah, you got four days in between the, the first round and the semis, but you know, at the end of the season, you're tired, everybody's hurt, you know, and then you got to hop on a plane and, and you don't know where you're going to go. And then you find out, okay, we're going to go here. And, you know, oh, and what's your reward for winning that game? Oh, another bus trip, you know? So um, in that respect, I, you know, I, I, from a conference perspective, it's good for the conference because you get the best teams playing the, playing the best teams at the end and you make it easier for the teams that have rewarded themselves in their with their regular season performance but on the other hand if you're UCF and you're kind of hovering in you know that that five three four five area right. yeah that's a that's a brutal path isn't well, it <laughs> yeah yeah no it is I mean they're gonna be the three seed or a four seed so uh you know again first things first you play South Florida and the weird way is they could in a way decide which side of the bracket they're gonna be in based on the South Florida result although they're gonna go all out this is a rivalry match but it is interesting um they gotta they gotta they just to me, Jeffrey, the biggest thing is can they get a goal early on and just feel good about themselves offensively? Yeah. Everything else is fine. <laughs> yeah, because defensively, they've been tremendous. Delisle's been great at goal. Uh, they're a dangerous team. They have the ability. It's just offensively, they just can't find it right now. And, you know, and it, again, I think some of it is mental. Uh, you remember, this is a young roster. And I think there's some, when you're young and, and you don't see the ball in the back end of the net in a while, you kind of lose confidence and, and then you kind of press a little bit. So they, that's why I think this match with South Florida is very important to gain some momentum going into your hosting on Sunday against whoever you play and start this run that you're, that you're going to have to make. Yeah. And uh, like we said, 6 p.m. Halloween night, you can go trick-or-treating at, uh, at the UCF Soccer Complex and see the war on I-4. And then that, uh, and then this coming Sunday is that first round game. I know you said you didn't want to get into the get into the scenarios, and they are too complicated. But right now, at this moment in time, UCF would play, I believe, SMU. It looks like um, in the four five. All right. So, but it could be Houston. It could, you know. And now we're we're talking about ties. You know, UConn and Temple are in, are are basically a half a game back in that respect. Um, trying to figure out that whole thing between the bottom six. You got the bottom six teams in the American right now. You have two at three and five. You have two, three at two, five and one, and you have one at two and six. So um, it's it's a mess, and we're not. And like I said, we're not going to get into it right now. It would be SMU, but it could not be SMU. So. Just follow the American uh, Oregon. Follow us on social yeah. media. We'll tell you what the we'll, scenarios. How they we'll play figure out it all out. That's now. right. That's why you subscribe to this podcast. Is we do all the all the legwork for you. Um, uh, volleyball. All right. Um, now we're coming down the stretch. Six home matches to go. Knights get Knights sweep their weekend against Houston and Tulane. They sweep. They swept Houston, and then they beat Tulane in four um, on the home floor. Uh, and and uh, McKenna Melville, great once again. Thirty-two kills total in both matches. Allie Sable was great against uh, Tulane. She added uh, eleven kills, and so did Anne Marie Watson. Uh, and Mackenzie Kuchmanner won um, Conference Honors Defensive Player of the Week. Um, the, how about the grad transfer from Waxhaw, North Carolina, coming up, coming up big for uh, the Knights in volleyball? This is a big weekend coming up for the Knights, too, because um, now they have their war on I-4 on Friday night, November the 1st at 7, uh, against South Florida at home. That's a big night. It's a split weekend because the Knights then have to go to Dallas on Sunday to play SMU. But... As far as the home match against South Florida is concerned, it's the volleyball, annual volleyball, a tradition that goes back to Todd Dagenet's first year. War on I-4 
and it's also alumni weekend and UCF has uh, announced that um, the uh, uh, that they will honor Renata Menchikova this year uh, in their uh, in the in the uh, ring of honor Renata Menchikova going going back to the 90s was he's she is still UCF's all-time kills leader um, you know we thought that uh, it, that you know what we've seen from you know McKenna Melville is something well Renata had 2,151 kills in in uh, in, in uh, her time at UCF. Holds the record for single kills in a game with 42, uh, and uh, and also has the top five single game marks of all time. Um, uh, it, it, this is back in the A Sun A Sun days. She played. She was the A Sun Player of the Year in 1996. Um, and it's going to be great to see her back and and be recognized for uh, what she did. But and then nonetheless, you still have what's going on on the floor, which you know for UCF volleyball is is key right now because it, it, the East Division. Remember, volleyball is in divisions now. The it's a two team race. There's UCF and Cincinnati at nine and one, and then there's everybody else no better than three and seven. So that's that's where it is. But Cincinnati has that tiebreaker. South Florida's last at one and nine. All right, but. It is more on I four. You know you're going to get there. You know that they're going to give you your best shot. The deal for UCF right now is essentially this: you want to take care of South Florida and go, and then go on the road and take care of SMU, because SMU right now is second in the West behind Houston. So they're pretty good. They're 14 and six. UCF is 16 and six overall. Uh, and then the last four matches are home for ECU. And Cincinnati, and the Cincinnati match is going to be the big one next weekend. Because, and you got to be careful that you don't look too forward to that one if you're UCF. Because if you t- if you beat Cincinnati, that that nullifies the head-to-head tiebreaker. So then you go to the full tiebreak, which I'm not sure exactly what the full tiebreakers are, but we'll have to double check that. And then, but if you're UCF again, this is why it's key. You want to be. In first, you want to win that East Division because, again, like we talked about earlier this season, the conference tournament format has changed. Uh, well, for one thing, we have one. <laughs> uh, there never used to be a conference tur- uh, a conference tournament for uh, for UCF uh, for uh, the American in volleyball, but now they have one, and UCF is hosting it by virtue of the fact that they were last year's champion. But in addition to that. You want to the division champions get the bye. It's a six-team field, just like soccer, except you don't go on the road for the first round. All six teams come to one site, and it's played over three days. Um, you don't want to have to play that, you know, three days in a row in order to win the conference championship. You want to be able to 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 rest yourself that extra day before you play a quality opponent, um, be it whoever that they get in the first round. The good news is for UCF is even you know. Regardless of whatever happens with that, their RPI is very strong right now, Eric. They're at 27. Uh, they actually moved up a little bit. So that RPI is key because that keeps them squarely in the hunt for uh, for an at-large bid regardless of what happens. But um, And that RPI is probably is definitely going to strengthen uh, once we get to the tournament because you're, you're likely going to be playing some teams in the top 100, and that's going to help out. The RPI as well might fluctuate a little Which bit. Which is the reason why the they season. brought the tournament, right? Isn't right. That the reason why they brought the tournament in. Well, no. th- well, it, it was kind of a compromise, and I, and Todd told me the story about this, and I think it's actually fascinating because he and some of the other veteran coaches in the league they don't want the conference tournament because 
they want to they want the best team in the regular season to 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 move on to the to get that automatic bid because that's what's best for the conference. But some of the teams that struggle in the conference every year is like, well, you know, we want a shot at this and we kind of want a second shot at it because you guys are probably going to get in anyway on at large bids and we're kind of stuck here. We want, you know, we can't really grow our program because we don't really have a shot, you know, every year unless something goes absolutely totally crazy. So there was a compromise that was struck. They finally they, you know, the, the other coaches got the votes to um to get the conference tournament but as a nod to the coaches who were holding out the field was small six teams and that ensures that if you have to play in the conference tournament and you're one of the top two teams you're going to get you're going to be rewarded one way or the other if you lose you're you're still going to get some help in the RPI because you'll likely be playing a team in the top 100, most likely the top 75 or top 50. So, um, yeah, everyone kind of has to, you know, it's, I I get both sides of the argument. I, I'm kind of nostalgic for the old days of the A-Sun volleyball tournament because those, those tournaments were fun when UCF was hosting them every year. Um, But I also get where uh, Coach Dagenet is coming from with, you know, in terms of, you know, preserving you know, your energy heading into that tournament. It worked out for UCF last year, but then they went to the tournament and had some injuries. So, um, or into the NCAA tournament, had some injuries. And, and this year, you know, who knows if, if things go, go haywire a little bit, like what if they lose to Cincinnati in that, in that game at home? Well, uh, then, you know, they're going to have to win the tournament to get in. So, uh, in that respect, UCF, if it was under the old rules, would have been eliminated. So, um, I don't know, man. It's it's tough. I get both sides of the argument, though. It's uh, it, it, and I kind of, I, I kind of, I personally lean to, lean toward having that conference tournament because it does give you that second chance. If you feel like you know you lose one match in like early October, all of a sudden you're out. You know, no, I don't think that should be quite. Yeah, you know, there there are some good teams that you know, and especially with the way the NCAA committee works. I mean, for some reason they still think the Americans a one maybe two bid league when it's a lot stronger than that. I mean, I th- personally I think there should be probably at least two maybe three this year coming from the Americans. Well, it's definitely going to get two. I think UCF and Cincinnati are going to get in. Certainly, I certainly. Is, I think I, I'm not a fan of the I'm not a fan of the division uh, the division thing. I know why they did it in order to because you lose a weekend of play. Well, is that going to go away now with UConn leaving? I'm wondering. Like, is that going to? That's go a good away? question. I I think. I haven't heard anything on that. Um, got time to ask. We I, time. Yeah, we got time to. I, I don't think the conference has figured it out yet. I, I think probably by now the coaches are like so locked in on coaching that like we'll worry about that. Yeah, stuff no, that's later. Sure. I mean, we're really spending like Coach Dagenet right now would be telling both of us like guys, I, I shut really up. I got I got a match to coach. <laughs> yeah, that's literally literally that that's what he told me prior to the Tulane match last week. So. They're locked in on this match, and that's what they got to worry about. And that's all you got to worry about is worry about this weekend because you know what? You're right. In this league, you never know. Who would have thought Cincinnati, when UCF lost them, who would have thought they would have dropped the match that they did right. to pull even with UCF? So you just never know in this league. And you're right. That four and I four is going to be emotional and going on the road to SMUs. That's, that's a quick turnaround, too. That's not, yeah. that's not a favorable scheduling-wise. So let's just see what happens this weekend, and then hopefully – uh, next week on our show here, we can go more in-depth on perhaps that big match against Cincinnati. By the way, it was Tulane who actually swept yeah. Houston, or, or, or actually swept Cincinnati at Tulane. 
And boy, isn't that funny how, like, for some reason, I feel, it feels like every year in this conference, volleyball and football mirror each other. You Here we are once again. UCF needs Cincinnati to lose twice. <laughs> difference you know? is here, UCF can take care of Has a little of bit other. of control on that. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so I don't know. It's uh, Again, th- this is, hey, we're, we're approaching November. This is the stretch run for these sports, man. It's going to get going to start to get wild and we will st- we will be with you throughout the entire thing here at uh, the black and gold banneret uh and the black and gold banneret podcast elo what do you have coming up i know we had uh I, you know i'm so sorry i owe you a public apology because i was i've been so busy with trying to move and both my kids are sick and i forgot to get your three stars up so we have a belated three stars from a week ago that's up now and then you got three stars coming this week right well, yeah, and you're assisting me on that one big time, though, this week to make up for it because number I, I, I'm pretty occupied. Uh, I'll be at the UCF-USF women's soccer match on Halloween. I will be dressed up as a sideline reporter for that match <laughs> on the digital network. So that's Where do you have costume. to go for that costume? <laughs> uh, whatever, sideline reporter wearing some gear in my, my headset closet. or something. Who knows what they'll have for me, but they'll have something. So I'll be there Thursday. And then Friday, our own Brian Murphy. That's why he's not with us on this segment because he's already uh, geared up for fall ball, UCF Stetson baseball on Friday night to go along with the volleyball match that you're going to be at. And, oh, by the way, we got the big men's soccer match during that night, which is going to be wild. And then Saturday, me and Murph will be at the football game against Houston, noon kickoff. I know you guys went in depth on that. Uh, Then Sunday, I'll be at the women's soccer match. UCF's going to play somebody at 1 o'clock, so we'll see who – uh, they play and all that in the conference tournament, single elimination. So it, uh, point is, I'm pretty busy, Jeffrey. That's, yeah. that's busy, busy. It's, you know, well, you know what? We had the other day, we had the actual sports equinox where we had, you know, regular season or postseason games from all four major pro sports playing the same time. Well, right now we're in the college sports equinox where we have the the yep. fall and winter sports cross. It's the it's the fall sports equinox for college sports. Because basketball is starting up, don't forget. Yeah, and we got our special coming up, right? Yep, we got. We're recording the uh, the uh, our basketball special later this week, um, and uh, women's basketball starts on Wednesday, November sixth, against Pittsburgh. That's an eleven a.m. tip. I will be there for that doing PA, and and um, Jeremy Brenner is also going to be there as well. He'll be. I'll be there. He'll be, he'll be following Jeremy. Will be following uh, UCF women's basketball all season. That's it, that. That's going to be his beat now. So. Nice. Um, we're happy to have him on board doing it. He's really excited to do it. I, I know that he lo- how much he loves covering Coach Abe and the team and KK and everybody. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and we'll uh, have Coach Abe, by the way, on our basketball special. Yes, we will. Yeah, and we ha- of course we had KK right last week from Media Day. So yep. um, I'm going to be excited to see what they do against Pittsburgh in that opener. Man, You're diving right in against an a- ACC team right off the bat. Um, that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun heading into uh, heading into the season. And uh, don't forget, you can follow us always blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret for all your UCF sports needs. We are part of SB Nation and a proud member of the SB Nation Network, where we are celebrating Eric Lopez just over one year since we joined the joined the network. And I wanted to thank. All the folks that have helped us out over there uh, in Washington, in New York, and most of all, you guys, the fans, for um, for hopping on board and uh, and and realizing you know what we've been doing and supporting what we've been doing because we do it for you. Um, you know, we, we enjoy covering these. We do it for you. We do it for the coaches. We do it for the athletes. We do it for 
all of our friends inside and outside our UCF orbit. And um, it's been a blast, and we're going to continue to get better, getting better at it, and I hope you enjoy it. So for Eric Lowe, uh, by the way, big thanks um, once again to uh, Brian Murphy for earlier. Thanks to um, Dustin and Sam from the uh, Scott and Holman podcast. Make sure you follow them at SH Podcast on MSPAWD Podcast. Get it? Uh-huh. Um, they're great. Make sure you follow them for anything having to do with Houston. Um, and uh, and again, thanks to every, thanks to you, the listeners, for uh, listening in on the show. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. For Eric, I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you later.